Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something in our year-long project, The Meltzer Five Star Project. As myself, Lorca Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, are watching every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. Uh, Simon, it's been the last time that we will cover any matches involving All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, yep. barring any unforeseen circumstances over the rest of 2019. And it's also the last time that we watched any matches involving Mitsuharu Masawa who at the time of our previous debrief uh, was a factor in six of your top ten matches and was a factor was involved in five of my top ten matches. So let's see if he makes any extra additional um, featurings uh, by first of all running down our mutual top tens when we reached episode 60. Simon, do you have your previous list to hand? Oh, shit. That's the other notepad. Two secs. <laughs> well, while Simon's getting his notes all ready and uh, arranged, as if he were organised in the slightest, he isn't, um, I'm going to give you my top ten from ep up to episode 60. They were at number ten. Jumbo Saruta facing off against Mitsuharu Misawa in the famous, not passing of the torch, but creation of a new star... It, from December, from June of 1990, that was my number 10. My number 9 was my sole women's wrestling Joshi match to make the top 10, as Dynamite, as Dynamite Kanzai and Mayumi Ozaki challenged for the 3WA women's tag team titles from Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada on two out of three falls rules. At number 8, I had Kenta Kabashi facing off against Stan the Lariat Hansen in July of 1993. At number seven, I had my first WWF and North American wrestling match as Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon clashed at WrestleMania 10 under ladder match rules to decide who was the undisputed intercontinental champion and with it usher in a new form of pro wrestling, really, in the stunt spectacle, which we will talk about later on today. Uh, my number six was the... Third match that we saw, the uh, second match in the famous trilogy, but we included an extra house show along the way, as Ric Flair tried to regain the NWA World Heavyweight title from his previous vanquisher, Ricky Steamboat, under two out of three falls in New Orleans, Louisiana, at Clash of the Champions 6 in April of 1989. Number five, we're back to All Japan Pro Wrestling, and it's a tag team match for the All Asia Tag Team titles, as Kenta Kabashi and his Super Generation Army junior heavyweight teammate, Soyoshi Kikuchi, challenged the Can-Am Express of Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. It was All Japan again at number four, as it was another Super Generation Army match, as the senior heavyweight members, Masawa, Kawada, and Kabashi, took on Jumbo's army of Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe, and Masanobu Fushi. That was the second of the four... Uh, six-man tag matches between those two triumvirates. The the second as well of the three that Dave Meltzer gave five stars and the only one to make my list here as a mutual five-star rating from April of 1991. At number three was Misawa and Kabashi facing off against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe for the All Japan World Tag Team titles in June of 1995. Uh, one of several matches involving the Four Pillars of Heaven, and that was, to my mind, the best of all of them. At number two, my top North American match, and for quite a long time, my number one overall, as Ric Flair had one last chance to win the NWA World Heavyweight title from Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89 in May of 1989. But my number one that had taken the number one spots uh, after... Uh, yeah, after usurping at match 50, at the 5th debrief, and staying on for this, the 6th debrief, it was Mitsuharu Masawa defending his All Japan Triple Crown against Toshiaki Kawada on the 3rd of June, 1994. Simon, do you now have your top 10 list as of episode 60? Consummate professional that I am, I, I now have my notes in front of me. 
and you want to run them down from 10 to 1 whilst I run you down emotionally and intellectually after the fact. <laughs> what would you do if I'd said no at that point? Oh, anyway. The episode. Uh, end of the series, end of our livelihoods. Wow. That's a bit bleak, but I dig- we digress. Mm. At number 10... Us? For- <laughs> at number 10 for myself... <laughs> It is Mitsuharu Misawa going one-on-one for Kira Tawe on the 15th of April 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, then I slot in at number nine with sisters doing it for themselves. Ajakong versus Manami Toyota. Uh, that is the 27th of June 1995. Had to be condescending, didn't you? <laughs> How's that condescending? Sisters were <laughs> doing it for themselves. They weren't sisters. That was Kyoko Inawe and... Man- and- <laughs> And See, the other now, what you've out. done there is take that literally. Oh, At nice. number eight, I switch up to some tag team action as it's Mitsuharu Misawa and Kenta Kabashi versus Toshiyaki, Toshiyaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. Uh, that is on the 24th of Jan, 1995. Um, I then have Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, their third outing, which is the one you always tell me is at... New Orleans, Louisiana, two out of three falls, Clash of the Champions, six. Delightful. Thank you for the assist. At number six, um, sharing a place on both of our lists, I have Kenta Kabashi and Kikuchi. Not Kenta Kikuchi, I can never remember his first name. Soyoshi Kikuchi. Thank you very much. Versus Doug Furness and Dan Crawford, the Can-Am Express. At my number five, I have Ric Flair versus Ricky Dragon Steamboat number four. That I thought you were going to say Ricky Gervais at that one. <laughs> God, Shut up about atheism! <laughs> uh, that is their fourth outing. That got five stars from Big Dave Meltzer. WrestleWar 89. Boom. Uh, it is your number two, I think, yeah. Uh, number four is Mitsuharu Misawa and Kenta Kabashi versus Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. This is their 12th of March 1993. 3rd of December. 3rd of December. I do this every time. Every single time. Next, at uh, number three, is Mitsuharu Misawa and Kenta Kabashi versus Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. Our mutual number three, the yes. 9th of June 95 match. Yes, that one I had written the white rain round. I have uh, my, at my number two, which was my number one for the longest time, Jumbo's Army versus Misawa's Army, their second five-star rated outing. From April 1991, my number four. At number one, I have the ratings breaker, the one that recalibrated what a star rating was, Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada. That is the 3rd of June '94. So to then recap, this is our mutual top five before we go into our revised listings. At number five is Kabashi and Kikuchi against Furness and Crawford from May of 1992, All Japan Pro Wrestling. At four is Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe and Masanobu Fushi against Mitsuhara Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada and Kent Kabashi on the 2nd of April 1991. Again, All Japan Pro Wrestling. At number three... It's All Japan Pro Wrestling again, as Mitsuharu Masara and Kent Kabashi challenge uh, face off against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 9th of June 1995. Our one new entry in the list from run from episode 50 uh, from debrief number five. Number two, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, WrestleWar 89, and our mutual number one is the overall number one, as you would expect. It's Masawa. Kawada, it's the 3rd of June 1994, it's the original six-star match, and it's going to take a hell of a time getting beaten. And we'll have to see if maybe it will be beaten tonight. Simon, let us start off with your... Uh, let's uh, First, we'll run down what the 10 matches were since that previous debriefing. Uh, the 61st match was the 6th of December 1996 Real World Tag League, World's Strongest Tag League Final, as Mitsuharu Masawa and his new partner, Junakiyama, faced off against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe. The next match was the third ever WWF match, WrestleMania 13's 
show stealer, and many would argue the most important match in modern day wrestling and the start of a new era, as Bret Hart faced off against Stone Cold Steve Austin under submission rules match, uh, submission rules uh, on the 23rd of March 1997 at WrestleMania 13. And the next match we have is another New Japan Pro Wrestling match, the uh, slightly less frequent um, contributor to this list at this point. And it's the finals of the 1997 Best of the Super Juniors tournament as El Samurai takes on Koji Kanemoto, making his sole appearance on this list is Mr. Kanemoto. Uh, next match was a rematch between the not the six-star matches. Mitsuharu Masawa once again defended his Triple Crown, this time in June of 1997, a mere three years and three days after that six-star match against Toshiaki Kawada. We're back to the WWF again, as 1997 saw two five-star matches just as 1994 had, and it's the first ever Hell in a Cell match, with Shawn Michaels facing off against The Undertaker and it ending with the debut of one Kane. We're back in all Japan again for the final time with these next four matches. First, Masara and Akiyama face off once more against Kawada and Tawi in the finals of the World's Strongest Tag League for 1997 on the 6th of December. Then it's a pair of Masawa All Japan Triple Crown matches against Kabashi. In the first one, he's the challenger to Kabashi on the 31st of October, 1998. And then eight months later, it is Masawa that is defending after a period of title hot potato against Kenta Kabashi on the 11th of June, 1999. They're serious now. They've got beards. <laughs> then we had an, our final All Japan World Tag, our final All Japan Wrestling match, uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling match, as Masawa teams up this time with his newest uh, partner and protege, Yoshinari Ogawa, to face off against his two previous partners, the burning faction members of Kent Kabashi and Junakiyama, who are challenging Masara Nogawa for the All Japan World Tag Team titles. That was our final ever All Japan title match, uh, our final ever All Japan Pro Wrestling five-star match, and the final match of the 90s, and we had to wait a whole three and a half years before Dave Meltzer gave this final match on this run five stars, but it involved the usual suspects, as this time Mitsuhara Masawa is defending his GHC, Global Honored Crown Heavyweight Championship, in his own home promotion of Noah against Kenta Kabashi. That is also the final match of this uh, series that will involve Mitsuharu, Mitsuharu Masawa, who he tried to give Ross at the end there. Yes. Uh, there, was a, there were a lot of words in that, Simon. Now you a good effort on your part, of course. As always, Lorcan, as and always. let's see how much effort we made in revising, updating, removing, subtracting, and adding to these lists after ten of those matches. Simon, let us hear, first of all, your top ten number ten. That was, that was very contorted. Was strangulated, yes. Yes. Uh, Are there new entries, first of all? Because you did give a few matches five stars, but I think we've both now reached the point where we have more than ten five-star matches. Well, that is for me to know and you to find out. My number ten is not a new entrant, though. It is Mitsuharu Masawa and Kenta Kabashi taking on Kawada and Tawe. This is their January the 24th, 1995 outing. Mm-hmm. My number ten is... My previous number six, it's Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon in the ladder match at WrestleMania 10. Okay, now that suggests there's been some shuffleage here. Mm-hmm. My number nine is a new entrant. I have gone for Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Very good. So, my number nine is Mitsuharu Masawa and Junakiyama facing off against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 6th of December. My first new entrant in this list, the World's Strongest Tag League final for 1996. My number eight is Mitsuharu Masawa versus Kenta Kabashi, that Noah outing, March 2003. Okay. My number eight 
is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, two out of three falls rules at Clash of the Champions 6, my previous number five. Ooh. <clears throat> Okie doke. My number seven is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, their third outing, which is... Clash of the Champions 6. So go. my number 8 is your number 7. Yeah. My number 7 is my previous number 4 and our mutual number 5. It's Kabashi and Kikuchi against Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. Weird that you mention that because my number 6 is the very same match. Mm. My number 6 is... Jumbo's Army against the Super Generation Army. On the 2nd of April 1991, our mutual number four as of the uh, previous top five. Thank you. My number five is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, their fourth outing, which was Wrestle War? Yes, Wrestle War 89. My number five is Mitsuharu Masawa against Kenta Kabashi. The first of their three matches that we covered, the one on the 31st of January, 1998. Okay, okay, okay. My number four is Mitsuharu Masawa with Kenta Kabashi, taking on Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe, their 3rd of December, 1993 outing. Mm-hmm. My number four... It's the WrestleMania 13 submission match between Bret the Hitman Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. My number nine, that was. Mm-hmm. But my number three is Mitsuharu Masawa and Kenta Kabashi taking it on Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe, their 9th of June 1995 outing. And that is also my number three. Ooh. My number two um, has been mentioned on Lorcan's list. I forget the number, but it's uh, Jumbo's Army against the uh, Super Generation Army, the April 1991 match. My number two is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89. Sai, it's happened again, hasn't it? I, I believe it has, but just, just like they take the last ball out of the FA Cup draw, we will confirm. My number one is Mitsuharu Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, 1994 outing. Mine is the fantastic to get to... No, it's not. It's not. Because <laughs> we also... We should have mentioned that we did watch that match in full in between the, the previous debrief yes. and this one. Um, but it didn't make my list. It is still Masawa versus Kawada. So, I have had uh, just quick counting up from previous. From my previous list, I have knocked four, uh, three matches off of my list. Uh, Kabashi Hansen, Kanzai and Ozaki against Toyota and Yamada, and Saruja against Masawa have all been knocked off my list to be replaced gradually uh, at number nine, Masawa Akiyama Kawada Tawe from December 96. Uh, number five, Masawa Kabashi, January 98. And number four, Bret Hart against Stone Cold Steve Austin at uh, WrestleMania 13. You have had two new matches added to your list, I believe, yeah. and they both came in relatively low on the list. You eliminated uh, Misawa Atawe, yeah. and you also eliminated Aja Kong Manami Toyota, so the ladies aren't on either of our lists late, uh, anymore. Um, and there's two white men. <laughs> mm. uh, let's just, we just apologise for everything. Um, and your two new entries were placed at numbers 9 and 8 respectively, and that was Bret Hart versus Steve Austin, and it was the third Masawa Kabashi match, uh, the Noah match, where and the final... Uh, well, they did have one 10-minute time limit draw in 2004, but the last serious match between those three... Uh, between those two men. And other than that, 7-1 to one have stayed exactly the same for you. Yes. So I'm just wondering how many mutuals we have now in our in our list, and whether we need to change our overall list as a result of that. So Masawa Kawada remains at number one, naturally. Uh, Flair and Steamboat Wrestler eighty nine is still on the list. Masawa Kabashi Kawada Tawe is also on our both of our lists from uh, June ninety five. Yep. So is our mutual new entry, which is Bret Hart against Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. Yep. Uh, our six, the six-man tag is still in there. Um, as is Kabashi Kikuchi against the Kanam Express. Yep. Uh, or Kanam Connection. 
uh, Canam Express, wasn't it? It's Express, yes. As is Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat from Clash of the Champions. So we now have seven mutual members of our top ten. Ah. Uh, the question now is, I guess, do we knock Kabashi and Kikuchi versus Furness and Crawford off to be replaced with the highest new entrant for both of us, which is Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin? That's not my highest new entrant. Oh, it's not, but it's the um. It's the highest combined new entrant. Yes, combined because it's in my top five and it's in your top ten. It's uh, Kabashi Kikuchi is at number seven on my list six and number six on yours, so that adds up to thirteen. Yeah, as does Bret Hart versus Steve Austin add up to thirteen. Okay, but and you can make the case that Austin, since my since it's higher on my list, does that trump it? Mm-hmm. And you and do I, have I, to factor I, in the sorry, cultural impact that Austin yeah. and Hart had, which um, Furnace and Crawford's outing did not have. And I think it would also be good for uh, the sense that this is some sort of definitive five if we're going to recommend people watch anything. Yeah. But it's not for all Japan matches. True. <laughs> Variety is the spice of life. I, so I think... They- Three All Japan matches, one NWA match, and one WWF match. Yes. I don't see any harm in that. Okay. So that is added to the list. We have a new arrival in our top five. And given that everything else is really the same as it always, same as it ever was, I think at this point you would make the case that Flair Steamboat shouldn't be number two because it keeps. Well, it doesn't keep falling down. It didn't fall down any further on your list no. than the. It didn't fall down any further on mine. Um, again, just if you were to use the maths, I think the six-man tag would trump it. But um... so, okay, this is the revised top five, definitive five for us. At number five is the one new entrance. It's Brett the Hitman Hart against Stone Cold Steve Austin under submission rules at WrestleMania 13. Yeah. Number four remains Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe, Masanobu Fushi against Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiki Kawada, and Kent Kabashi on the 2nd of April 1994, 1991. Sorry. Uh, at the Krakowin Hall, I believe. I might be wrong there. Uh, mutual number three. Uh, sorry. Uh, well, it is our mutual number three as well, and it's number three on this list. It's Mitsuharu Masara and Kent Kabashi defending their All Japan World Tag Team titles against the Holy Demon Army of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 9th of June, 95. Uh, number two remains Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89. Yep. And our mutual number one and the number one of the list overall remains Mitsuharu Masawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, the first ever six-star match on the 3rd of June, 1994. So as as Mizuhara Masawa departs this list, he's in three of the five top matches on this list. And his universe, he's got the he has ironically the triple crown, mutual mm-hmm. mine and yours. It's the true prize that everyone covers. <laughs> of course, mind you, so, you could say the same about Kawada as well. That was some exhaustive list working, Simon. And let's move on now. Do we want to do our uh, listener writing question, or do we want to move on to our alternative five-star match? I think we should do our listener question first, because it sort of bleeds in to our alternative match, if you will. So so who has been in touch with us on our email address, lmtyspod at gmail.com? We have had Devon from uh, Minnesota get in touch with us. Oh, okay. Uh, And it's a question... Which is pretty obvious when you think about it, and it's something we've semi-alluded to in this episode and um, in the previous episode. Um, He's asking, what is the reason for the four-year gap between um, 1999 and 2003? Did, Did wrestling just have a significant dive in quality? Did Dave's tastes just not hit with anything that was put on? during that period, and just our thoughts on that matter. Well, uh, Devon, we can't... I was hoping you was from Devon as well, (laughs) but that wasn't to be the case. Um, The simple fact is you'd have to ask Meltzer. The problem is a lot of these uh, questions we get in, they're kind of us trying to speak on Meltzer's behalf. Mm. Um, But what we can say is that I think wrestling... 
was recalibrating during this period of time. And also, I think there's legit. I genuinely think there's legitimacy to the claim that Meltzer does rate Japanese wrestling matches higher than he does American matches. You just have to look at the sheer and numbers. They, they don't. In lie. the year, definitely in the year two thousand, the best wrestling matches were being held in the WWF for the most part. Uh, I'm just bringing them up now. So these are the matches in two thousand and five that Dave, Dave Meltzer didn't give a single match in two thousand five. Uh, neither five nor four and three quarter star matches uh the ones that he gave four and a half star match five four and a half stars to five of the six are wwf matches oh, okay uh, the, the first one was an all japan match that was kent kabashi against toshiaki kawada um then on then he the, the five wwf matches that he gave five uh, four and a half stars to were the uh, Royal Rumble 2000 street fight match for the WWF title. That was Triple H versus Cactus Jack. Okay, that was a, yeah. a a candidate for our um, alternative five-star match. Then it was the rematch the month later at No Way Out in Hell in a Cell under title versus career rules, again between Triple H and Cactus Jack. Then he went for the fully loaded last man standing match between Triple H and Chris Jericho. So, you know, Triple H was his top-rated wrestler of 2000. Uh, then it was the first TLC match at SummerSlam 2000 between Edge Christian against the Dudley Boys and the Hardy Boys. And then his final four-and-a-half-star match of that year was the six-way Hell in a Cell match <laughs> for the title between Kurt Angle, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, The Undertaker, and Rikishi. So if we then go on to 2001, he gave... Uh, he gave five matches four and three quarter stars and they are all wwf matches and he gave one two three four five six seven matches four and a half stars uh out of those seven six of them were uh, five of them were wwf matches one was a new japan match and one was a noah match oh, okay do you want to know the four and a half stars, or would you rather just me tell you the four and three quarters? Just the four and three quarters. Let's keep it at the highest okay. rate. Okay. The four and three quarter matches were Chris Jericho against Chris Benoit, the last match at uh, the 2001 Royal Rumble. Okay, yeah. Uh, no Way Out 2001, three stages of hell match between Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right, okay. The WrestleMania 17 Triple Threat TLC match between Edge and Christian and the Dudley Boys and the Hardy Boys. Yep. The Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit World Tag Team Title match against Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H on the 21st of May, WWF Raw. And then the very next night, TLC3 match, where Jericho and Benoit had to defend their newly won titles against Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, and the Hardy Boys. I've forgotten about that TLC match. That is a good TLC match, that one. 2002 saw only two matches get four and three quarter stars, uh, but he did give quite a lot of other matches four and a half. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven matches four and a half stars. Uh, do you want to know the four and a half star matches, or again, Just do you want the to highest rating? Okay, the two four and three quarter star matches. One was an all Japan match uh, after. Kijimuto and Satoshi Kojima and Kendo Kashin made the move to All Japan and it was then under the control of Kijimuto. The first one I'm going to assume is for the Triple Crown title. It was a July the 17th, 2002 clash between Satoshi Kojima and the then, let's try and figure out how old he was, the 52-year-old Genichiro Tenru. Jesus. Still going, bless him. And the other four and three quarter star matches match was again a WWE match as Edge and Rey Mysterio fought Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit to decide who would be the first ever WWE SmackDown Tag Team Champions okay. at No Mercy 2002. And then 2003, interestingly, he only gave one match four and three quarter stars and then later on he gave the Kabashi Masawa match five stars. The four and three quarter match was Kurt Angle defending the WWE Championship against Chris Benoit at the Royal Rumble. Okay, yep. So, I think it's genuinely kind of a... Maybe Dave Meltzer would have given some of those matches. Well, but then they're a different kind of thing. You know, other than like Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit matches, maybe. 
the the rest are kind of WWF eyes. Their Hell in yeah. Cell matches, their multiple person matches, um, and you know, just maybe Meltzer just doesn't go the full hog for whatever reason. He doesn't feel like it. He probably does have internal biases. We all do. It's not a problem. Yeah. You know, you can't... It's not objective. That's the mistake people always make. They try to create... You can't give objectivity to a subjective matter. And that's the, you know... Again, I know we're beating a dead horse. Like, after, after to an extent, and crossing that bridge when we come to nice. it, this is the other one. Star ratings are inherently absurd. Trying to provide mathematical certainty to... An artistic medium is a, a fool's errand. Yeah. It's impossible. It's genuinely something you cannot do with any definitive scientific methods behind it. But it's a but it's a talking point. It's a launch pad, and um and you will have your biases. You know, Dave Meltzer would never rate a comedy wrestling match five stars, but there could be a match that's the greatest comedy wrestling match of all time. Yeah. Um, I think there's just certain things that he cherishes more, um, maybe like a depth of psychology and a length to a match that you know WWE very rarely provides. There's always going to be a certain amount of Gaga. He probably doesn't like matches that involve interference and the like, mm. and a lot of those matches do involve interference, like TLC2 involves interference, the Armageddon Hell in a Cell match has Vince McMahon getting involved, right, uh, Man, you know. The 2000 Royal Rumble, Stephanie McMahon's a factor in the finish, um, and so on and so forth. And it's more about the presentation than it is the the pure art form of the match. So maybe the presentation, the way that the WWF films it, the way that the WWF presents it, the way what the WWF prioritizes in the storytelling. Maybe he's being affected by having to listen to uh, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross on commentary. Yes, Simon, my, my fan was on, so you're just going to have to make me feel very hot now for the rest of this <laughs> talk. No and um, uh, that's how I see it. Maybe there are just inherent... Maybe if Edge, Mysterio, and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit had had that match in New Japan and it had been under New Japan production values or All Japan production values, maybe that would have been the final thing to push it over the line. But then again, he didn't give any of the Noah matches of this time period involving Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji, who are basically the best tag team of all of, in all of wrestling around this time. Uh, he wasn't giving them five mm. stars either. He was only giving them four and a half stars. So, I don't know. Again, you'd have to ask Dave himself. But, um... He just was very thrifty with the star ratings at this yeah. No, no, I, 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 and he continues to be for another decade. Yeah, no, I broadly agree with you. I, I think he he does have like obviously stylistic preferences, but again, you're right that that's just human nature to have those. Um, I, I put I personally think myself that there was stuff that is five star worthy, and um, that sort of bleeds into our alternate pick. Mm. But I think it's just it is it is a case that at that time Dave Meltzer was rating more than any matches higher in the WWF than anywhere else. That is true. So again, people saying Meltzer inherently has a bias against the WWF, whilst it might be true because he didn't push to the final point of giving five stars to some of these matches. Yeah, and maybe there's also significance in the in the place of the match because every one of the four matches that he's given five stars were of some sort of significance. Um, probably the least significant of them was the steel cage match between Bret Hart and Owen Hart. Yeah. Um, but the other one, WrestleMania 10 ladder match, first time we're ever really seeing that kind of match in wrestling. Uh, outside of those who watch like the Smack and Whackham tapes or uh, the Smack and Whackham WF type with the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels match or the Calgary's territory or a few other promotions here and there across the world that would do ladder matches, but never hold them in the prominence that the WWF would eventually. Mm. Um. Uh, then, then it's the Stone Cold Bret Hart match, another WrestleMania match, and then it's the first ever Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. So just like it's the first ever televised ladder match, first ever Hell in a Cell match, um, the you know a, a show stealing match at WrestleMania 13 that basically turned a guy into a main eventer overnight. Uh, I guess he needs that thing that you know he's willing to push out for on just any old 
All Japan World Tag Team title match that maybe we wouldn't rate like the Masaru Ogawa uh, Kabashi Akiyama match or, or so on. Yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe he needs that. I'm just theorizing. Extra, like, I, I think you're right there potentially. It's because the WWF just provides so many matches. Yeah, and, and they they're not given the specialness of them. Like, there's only so many times that. Masao and Kabashi will face off in a singles match, and there's even only so many times that they'll face off on a two versus two tag team match that's of any importance. Mm. Like they save it, they savor it in all Japan. Whereas WWF will repeat the same matches month in, month out, week in, week out on Raw. You know, and it's the storyline they use to try and get around that, but we're still mm. seeing the same in ring content. And maybe it was the fact of the ones that they saved, like they were saving the Hell in the Cell match. They hadn't been beaten into the ground when Dave Meltzer gave the first one five stars. The ladder match hadn't been beaten into the ground when he gave that one five stars. And the TLC matches that he was given very high ratings to were still being spaced out relatively um, shortly between the, them. And like I said, I think it's just an epicness of storytelling that the WWF wasn't really providing at that point. They were starting to get there with their main event matches, you know, things like kicking out of finishers, like when Cactus Jack kicks out of the pedigree at the Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. um, you know, being backdropped through the cell in, in No Way Out. Maybe there was it needed to get that final epic touch that they rarely give anything if it's not at WrestleMania because it's always leading into the next episode of Raw and the next episode of SmackDown yeah. and the next pay-per-view. So they've kind of always got to make you want more as opposed to kind of, this is the end of this chapter and then let's move on and the next chapter will end in... in six months' time when they face off in the Champions Carnival or in one of the six or seven Triple Crown or World Tag Team matches that we have all year. Yeah. I, no, I do get that. Because you look at every match that he gives five stars to in All Japan, there is some significance to nearly all of them. They're nearly all for either the Triple Crown or the World Tag Team titles. Or part or, of the world, Real World Tag League. Or part of the Real World Tag League or part of the Champions Carnival. And so there's a significance within and of the match itself that makes it unique. Mm. And the five-star rating needs to be a unique rating. True. I don't know. But then now um, now Meltzer's maybe being a bit more freewheeling with yeah. those ratings. You know, he's giving them to shows at PWG and uh, a little indie in Europe and, you know, and um, any other G1 Climax show is <laughs> getting a five-star rating. Um, in there, but again, the G1 climax is of significance as well. But yes. anyway, I think we've—I've at least talked the crap out of that, and you've sort of gone, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Well, no, no, I, I, I don't feel there's anything I disagree with in what you're saying. I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head. Well, thank you very much, sir. That's quite all right. And um, Devon in Minnesota, or Mini in Devon, sure. Uh, please feel free to get in touch with us with a follow-up on that if you have any further thoughts or you'd like us to answer another question for you. Right. Now, as I was um, alluding to, one of the alternative match we've picked is a match which takes place during this gap. Uh, this three-and-a-half-year gap. Yeah. and it's So, like that... I said, all those matches that I've listed off there you could give there's an there's a mexican wrestling match that it's debated as to whether he gave it five stars or not from the year 2000 uh involving villano tres and um ultimo guerrero mm. so maybe we could go back to that another time um we'll see uh we'll see how we feel about that um but go on sorry I oh, know what I was going to say is uh, the match we're about to talk about is one of the matches you did list as being given four and a half or even four and three quarter stars to. It's TLC two at WrestleMania seventeen. Why did we go with TLC two, Simon? Um, I think TLC one was decent enough, but it's always been a case where in in my head and in the WWE's head. Uh, there's a particular moment of this match which is in like pretty much every highlight package they can crowbar it into. Um, that's namely Edge spearing Jeff Hardy off the ladder. And it's just one of those moments, I think TLC1 was like good in terms of how it showed a new match type, but this was the real coming out party of TLC, and on a grander stage at WrestleMania as opposed to SummerSlam. And it's a really good fun car crash match, and it's a personal favourite of mine. Um, 
And that's why I plugged for it as an alternative. You did have alternative alternatives uh, mm. to bring to the table during this. Just That's to say that we did have a wide range of options because, again, we've. I, I think both you and I feel that wrestling, there was still really good wrestling during this time. Well, like I said, it's the, it's the best period of time for the WWF ever. Uh, from an in-ring and storyline perspective, is the year 2000, yeah. I've always thought. Uh, because they still had that sort of storytelling and a uh, wider range of popular characters, um, whilst also combining it with the best wrestling in the world that was going on at the time, especially when Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, and then later on guys like uh, Rob Van Dam and the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian and Dudley Boys were rising, and Triple H was probably the best wrestler in the world at that point and the rock was able to go toe-to-toe with him and be probably the most entertaining wrestler in the world and and the one who sold out the most 10,000 seats for arenas in one year i think in 2000 uh were headlined by the rock so there's never been a time there's never been a better time artistically for the wrf so if you want to look for great matches from 2000 to 2001 Pick any random WWF pay-per-view or even a Raw or SmackDown main event. You're probably going to find one without much looking. Yeah. Or without looking much. Um, This is where I'm going to get controversial with you, Simon. This is my least favorite of the three Edge, Christian, Hardys, Dudleys, uh, Ladders, with a variety of other things, matches. I prefer their WrestleMania 16 triangle ladder match, and I prefer their SummerSlam 2000 first TLC match to this one. That's not to say I don't like it, but I remember being a bit underwhelmed by it the first time I watched it. Mm. It didn't help matters that it's part of WrestleMania 17, which is arguably the greatest wrestling card of all time, so somehow what would usually be the best match of the card, maybe the best match the WWF does of the year, in my initial thoughts, I didn't even put it in like the top three. Yeah. Partly because I didn't like, I thought the crowd, because it was a stadium audience, the crowd was kind of, they didn't feel as involved in it. Yeah, yeah. They, the, 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 the cheering weirdly sounded quieter. Yes. And also I didn't enjoy that much the interference of Spike Dudley, Rhino and Lita Ooh. insofar as it, it stayed important throughout it all and it diluted it to me. It was fun for one spot, but I didn't like the fact that it was Rhino getting involved right at the end that won the match for Edge and Christian, carrying Christian on his shoulders. I think if they'd have done it where they all get their one spot in, Spike Dudley takes out to uh, a member each of the Hardys and Edge and Christian, and then you have uh, Rhino take out a member of the Dudleys and the Hardys, and then you have Lita take out a member of the Edge and, you know, jer- after jerking Edge off on the ladder. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then um you couldn't resist giving, yourself could you? giving spike dudley one of the nastiest unprotected headshots of all time oh, with the spike chair. just takes so much abuse in this match then she gets hit with the 3d and then jeff hardy hits both spike and uh rhino with the swanton off the top ladder that was the thing it was like the start of things starting to mean less because you think of WrestleMania 16, that whole thing was built up to Jeff Hardy doing that one swanton on Bubba Ray off the top of the huge ladder. And it was the first time we saw a ladder that big yeah. at these matches. Whereas this time, it's just one spot of many spots that doesn't even involve any other member of the match other than Jeff Hardy. Mm. And, you know, there was still so much innovation within there, but things were starting to get repeated. Um... Obviously, he's got the iconic edge spearing Jeff Hardy off the top of the the off the belts, yes, yeah. of of where the belts are being held. But it also, um, like it, you know, the, the, Matt Hardy and Bubba Ray going through four tables was a repetition of a spot that they'd done on SummerSlam 2000. Uh, the dangling off of the the belts was something that they'd done at SummerSlam 2000 as well. Mm. Um, just like I said, like it, like, and and there were some great moments in WrestleMania, like the the sixteen match where the Dudleys eliminate everyone, and suddenly there's an opening, and they suddenly bring out tables, and so it escalates it to a new point, you know. And the crowd seems more directly involved because they're, they're, you know, it's a smaller arena, and you can hear them going ape shit as it goes on. 
and it was still something new, whereas this is, you know, they're coming up with new spots, but they're also starting to repeat themselves. And then you're bringing more people in, and you're diluting the specialness of it. And then just only two months later, they're having TLC3 at SmackDown, and yeah. these three guys all lose to put over the other team. And then, you know, as like six months after that, you're having TLC4 at Raw in order to put Kane over. <laughs> it's like it's like the first sign of the reducing of the specialness to the point that there will never be another wrestler that will come out of the WWE that you will associate with the ladder match. Mm. Not even someone like Ricochet will be synonymous with the ladder match. Whereas the Hardys, Edge and Christian and Dudleys will always be synonymous with TLC. Hardys with the ladders and the Dudleys with the tables in particular. Edge and Christian, slightly less so with the chairs, because everyone uses chairs. Yeah. Although um, they did put the concerto into effect themselves, so... Yeah, but you couldn't do that anyway anymore. Yeah, um, true. In wrestling. Um, although, actually, out of all the headshots in wrestling, that was one of the safer ones, if you did it right. Yeah. As if weird as that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which they seem to always do, for the most part. I, I, look, I, I don't want to sound overly negative. As time's gone on, I've come to appreciate it more. I just don't think it was structured as interestingly as the WrestleMania match, and I don't think it was as exciting and new and wild as the summer and, and still self-contained as the SummerSlam 2000 match. Mm. I think it was a sign of what they did that would lead to the future of ladder matches every three to four months involving anyone that they could get their hands on and every indie wanting to put on a ladder match at some point very quickly. Yeah, I mean, and the I, idea of it being a non-stop stunt spectacle. I think it's. I think it's a little bit unfair to hold what happened after this match against this. Well, match yeah, it's not. It's not as guilty of it as those, but it's still guilty. Slightly, I as I said, and that's I, why you know. Again, it's not. I'm not. So, I wouldn't give it five stars, but I wouldn't go far from five stars. Yeah, but again, we don't rate anything other than five stars in this. Yeah, I. I came in. I came into this having selected this, thinking, "Oh, I remember watching this. This was great. This will be. This will. I. I. I will probably like. You know, I don't want to say I had a rate like the five star in my head prior to watching the match, but I kind of did because humans are flawed. Um, but as I rewatched it, there are little bits where I'm like, "Oh, this isn't as smooth or as like seamless as I remember," and that's the problem with any match where it's centered yeah. around a. Um, Catch the flag variant, basically, which yeah. is basically what this is. Sometimes the lack of smoothness can work, and sometimes it doesn't as yeah. much, or or, or or things become more convoluted. Yeah. Like, why did the Dudley set up four tables so far away at one point? Yeah. Other than it was conveniently there for when Matt Hardy and Bubba Ray go flying off the top of the ladder, mm. you know? Um, why, you know? D- d- why are there three ladders situated perfectly where they are? Oh, it's so that Jeff Hardy can do his tightrope yeah. walk. And I actually don't mind the fact that that didn't go 100% right. It's a shame, but it's not something that would make me say, and because of that, I'm not giving this five stars. Yeah. Just even the audacity the... of the audacity that Jeff Hardy tried to do that, and that fit with Jeff Hardy's daredevil nature and him crashing and burning almost works just as well. Yeah, he's an, he's an all or nothing like guy. He'll just go for it at any cost I it's more for me the fact that you could see at times and this is a problem with like multi-man matches you see people waiting for people to be in certain positions before they do their bit of that chain spot yeah Um, like Edge Edge knowing when is the point he has to spear Jeff Hardy off the ladder yeah yeah you see what you do I did watch him for ages uh, waiting to see when he had to start climbing the ladder bless him Um, and it's not his fault, you know. That, that well, was, it is like, his fault if he came up with the spot, yeah. you know. I know, but it's, uh, what I mean is this. If you're... But I know what you mean. It's like it's gone from the times where, like, uh, so I prefer, like, the Edge and Christian Hardy's uh, ladder match at No Mercy to 99 because it was, even though there was a lot of them doing innovative things with the ladder, that still it was about the, the, the climb. Yeah. It still was about the climb and trying to take out everyone that they could. Um, and with the tables match at the Royal Rumble 2000, which I think gets slept on far too much, that's a really good short match that made the Dudleys stars and, and helped the Hardy Boys even more. Mm. Um, I, I, I personally just have added a that... uh, massive problem with tables. 
So I've had yeah, but yeah, that's fine. Like that. But that's a good example of the tables match. I challenge you to have that big an issue with that match in particular. That was the first tables match, as far as I'm aware, in the WWF. Anyway. Okay, okay. Well, I challenge you to rewatch that match and tell me what you had a problem with. Mm. What I do have a problem with, and it sort of links into what I'm talking about here, is table matches. There's a lot of, oh, we have to be in certain places at certain yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's now becoming intricately um, choreographed stunt sequences, and you have your cues, and I imagine that the referees are there and there's like a bullet-pointed list backstage that they're saying to make sure that everyone knows where they have to be for the next bit. Yeah. And you can see that. And because it's so many people involved, you're in and out, and there's no necessary, you know, there's no there's no real thought into why is Christian not been involved for like the past three minutes. Obviously, they've taken huge bumps, but why is it that bump in particular that's yeah. the last stroke? And they still escalate things well, even if the final climb is very underwhelming. Just Yvonne being held by his foot. And also, I was very underwhelmed by the fact that they had Edge and Christian win again. Like, if it had been me booking it, it would have been Edge and Christian winning at WrestleMania 16, the Hardys winning at SummerSlam 2000, and the Dudleys winning at this one. But... Mm. They really, they always saw Edge as the star out of those six, and you know, only only three months later, four months later, the the team is split up for good. Yeah, that's and, and that's also another one of the crazy things about the WWF. Uh, and like I said, the sort of um, non-stop nature of it. At WrestleMania 16, they won those tag team titles for the first time. At WrestleMania 17, they win those tag titles for the seventh time. <laughs> That is silly when you think about it. Mind you, we had a recent example of that with Sasha and um, Charlotte swapping the uh, women's yeah. championship like a hot potato. Yeah. But this was like involving multiple teams and everything. Mm. But I think it's great. I mean, there's never been a time since then that the tag team division has been so defined by three top acts. Again, it's like as close as tag team wrestling came to like a three musketeers or a four pillars of heaven in yeah. Japan. No. Uh, and then later on, you'd have the SmackDown Six as well. Yeah, um, and they would tag with each other in various different combinations, but they weren't dedicated teams. No, they were. They were dedicated teams. It was Los Guerreros, Edge and Rey Mysterio, and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit. Well, yeah. That, well, yeah. Okay, I, I, I might, <laughs> might have misremembered that. I do apologise. But you know what I mean. They, they're not. Although Kurt Angle and Benoit would ha- would have matches with each other as well. Yeah. But they're not really... They were all individual Just don't, stars. Just don't dig up, stupid. <laughs> they were all individual stars first. They weren't I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. as dedicated teams. They just made teams out of them. Less so Chavo Guerrero. Less but Chavo. But... I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, do you know what? Because um, WWE's never really given that much time to its tag team division. That, that, that's not to say they've had, they haven't had periods where they've had it. I guess you had it as well with the... The New Day and the the Usos. Oh yes, now they did um, a few good. They've had a few good matches in that, few, in that yeah, spell. They've had a lot of good tag team acts, but they've never had a time where the divisions felt like a hot, like one of the hottest things there, and something that they're giving their sort of undivided loyalty to. And there's uh, there's well defined tag teams that have intricate relationships with one another like the 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 rivalries between edge and christian and the the hardys are very different to that between the hardys and the dudleys and edge and christian and the dudleys and there's there was a really good supporting uh supporting tag team division underneath them during that period as well with the likes of tna uh right to sense uh too cool there were people that they could be cycled in and out with during that time period as well, whilst they all feuded either with other teams or with each other. Yeah, you could keep the landscape fresh because you had death. Yeah, yeah. Which yet another you reason don't why. Have now. Yet another reason why 2000 was the artistic peak of the WWF. Yeah, and also obviously this is part of the biggest card of wrestling history. I mean, WrestleMania 17 is so important that I have in the past tried to, and in the future will probably try to again write a whole book about this show. Because you can argue that it's the final chapter of the Attitude Era. Mm. Um, even though they kept it on, but you know, it's just after ECW died, just after WCW died. Steve Austin turns heel. The Rock is never a full-time employee, really, of the company, except for like a five-month period after this. Um, uh, well, really from SummerSlam 2001 to SummerSlam 2002, and then he's basically done with the promotion after that, yeah. for all intents and purposes. 
uh, except for a short Hollywood rock run. Uh, so it is a significant match, and it's also a sign of what, what comes in the future. But like I said, for both good and bad. For good in that it showed how new stars were being created. You know, four out of those six guys... Well, five out of those six guys go on to hold a world title of some description or of another, either in the WWE or in uh, TNA slash Impact Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, Devon being the odd one out, unfortunately. These were all guys in their 20s when they did this match as well. So it was this thing of the youth actually being allowed. The youngest one was Jeff Hardy at 23. The oldest one was Bubba Ray at 29. You know, the they were building new stars. You know, not, none of them have been prominent until a couple of years before. Whereas now they just would they be given these opportunities? They just circle around in the in the mid card yeah. for the rest of for five, six, seven years. Whereas you know there was a clear plan for Edge to become a, a star over the next couple of years. And probably Jeff Hardy after that, if he hadn't had his issues. And Jeff still and Christian did, Matt despite Hardy. his issues, still yeah. achieved a fairly good level of stardom. Didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't, he didn't drive it all the way home, um, like if he didn't have the drug issues. But considering... Considering he had drug issues, he, he went, went a lot out of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the Dudleys continued to be, you know, except for a short period where they were split up during the brand uh, splits, uh, probably the most successful tag team in, of the 21st century. I think they're you know, like going one of the most decorated TNA. ones in terms of like... They won the IWGP, yeah, they won the IWGP tag team titles. I think they won the All Japan tag team titles. I might be wrong there. Um, they, Yeah, they did all it in TNA. They won WCW, ECW, WWF tag titles, TNA tag titles... You know, you couldn't ask to achieve anything more as a tag team. And then, in the you know, in the in the autumn years of his career, Bubba Ray reinvents himself as Bully Ray and and becomes the top heel in a, in the number two promotion at the time. Yeah, um, having both good and bad periods within there, and now he is a key. Was one of the few behind the scenes for the for Ring of Honor. I think he was one of the, the few Emperor things in um, TNA which like g- spiked them above in terms of like. Em- interest level obviously the, think... the most one being ironically enough involving two of the other men of this match the yeah. um broken matt hardy stuff i think it's clear if you listen to these guys all six of these men were good thinkers like they had good minds for the business yeah. all of them did they had some creativity within them uh that led that's why they and that maybe that's why the specialness has been diluted because it was still at this point, it was still six people constructing the match together. Mm. Whereas I would assume the vast majority of money in the bank matches, they kind of have the ideas given to them or it's, uh, you know, there's no, there's no classic money in the bank liner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. There's no line that's synonymous with money in the bank. Cause there was edge for like a hot second. Cause he was the yeah. first winner and B. But again, that was just him inheriting it from, his you know. old lineage, yes. You're right. And he was not keen on doing Money in the Bank at the start. <laughs> I think he said at one point he said he would rather have not been on the WrestleMania card than do Money in the Bank, but obviously he took that back. Well, of course he would, considering. So I, I really wish I didn't sound so negative during this whole thing. I don't know if I've disappointed you, but it seems like you yourself had some... Um... Well, yeah, yeah. Um, the rose came off... The, the rose tint came off my glasses for, throughout this match. Um... It's, it's again. It's 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 very good and it's very fun, mm. and I still it still holds a personal place in my heart of how fun it is. But it wasn't as smooth or seamless as I think my memory had made it. But it still felt more organic than it will do in later years. Yeah, some of it's contrived, but it's still more organic feeling than some later episodes, some later incarnations. Uh, yeah. Incarnations. And of course, you know, just two WrestleManias ago, the Hardys come out, win another ladder match, and it's one of the most memorable entrances in wrestling history. And it wouldn't be that if it weren't for this. True. Um, also, partly because of Matt making himself relevant again as Broken Matt Hardy. Yeah, but that was only a. I, look, out of those 70,000 hardcore fans, I guarantee you, even only. At least a good third of that probably didn't know what Broken Matt Hardy meant. And these are the hardcore of the hardcore. I guarantee you that. Because like my mate, Cal, my brother Callum, loved that. And yeah. he had no idea what Broken Matt Hardy meant. 
like he he texted me about how much he loved that moment. Mm. Like he said, he watched on YouTube like numerous times, and I think it is still like one of the most watched YouTube uh, videos, along with when the Dudley Boys made their big comeback. <sighs> See, I don't know if it, I don't know if it'd be a third. I, I accept that it'd be a portion, but I, I do. Maybe it's because obviously my personal internet bubble is different. Um, I, I just feel like a lot of people were talking about it mainly because of how mad it was, but they just went with it and made mm-hmm. they. Like, I I I commend them for what they Look, did. All I'll say is that like I know that Christian in the past has said that people in the in airports would ask him why he wasn't wrestling anymore whilst he was in TNA. Yeah. That's so you've true. got to factor that. I, yeah. You've got to, and I know WrestleMania fans are a different breed. You know, they're a breed <laughs> that unfortunately are already starting to annoy me at this WrestleMania that we're watching in hindsight. Uh, I think I've said in the past how much I hate that there guy who, bit... after Edge does the spear, the most repeat, one of the most repeated visuals in wrestling ever, where he essentially DDTs himself, and you know leads to a lifetime of neck problems. Um, what are half of the fans in the hard cam doing, looking at themselves on the hard cam? <laughs> and if they've got belts in their hand, lifting them up and looking at the belt. It's the start of the obnoxious wrestling fan walking around with the championship belt era. Yeah. Now, forgive me, if I'm, <laughs> uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but the opening match on WrestleMania 17 was Regal versus Jericho, was it not? Correct. Right. There are still signs... Watch like the Sunday Night Heat. No, 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 no. Main card, first match is that, right? Yeah? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why are there still signs referring to that match being held up during this match? That drives me mad, that does. Where are there signs saying that? Uh, you, they are on hard cam. Uh, I can't give you an exact point, but it, it's, it's a full sign, long sign as well. It's not just one person holding one sign, it's a group of four. And it makes... What will the sign say? You know what? I, I, I don't want to... I, I, I can't it, remember. It's just the sign saying Jericho's the best. Or no, Regal. no. It's, it's a specific it, reference yeah. to the the Jericho-Regal storyline. And like, why, why well, are you holding yeah. that up? That was an hour ago. Because they want to be seen on the camera. And that's the problem with a lot of wrestling fans. Oh. They want to make it about them. It just boils my piss, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, whilst... Simon goes off to drink his now fully. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the phrase? In, in uh, honor of the re- recently uh, departed Rip Torn, because it's sterile and I like the taste. Yes, very good, very good. Uh, let us now give people our contact details if they want to have a go at either of us for having a go at this match, which we're not having a go at. Still an amazing match. Just wanted to say some of the historical faults and one of my personal I would say I would recommend before watching this match if just to get the context anyway go watch the No Mercy ladder match I think that gets slept on a bit go watch the 2000 Royal Rumble table match including you Simon I think that gets slept on a lot WrestleMania 16 and the SummerSlam 2000 and they also had other ladder matches again the diluting thing like everyone goes crazy over the Edge Jeff Hardy spear thing they basically done the same spot at the Raw after Unforgiven 2000 where they had them wrestle another ladder match after they'd had a steel cage match again the sign of the management just pushing these people to the point that their bodies can't take it anymore you know and Edge you know how many of them have had to go for neck surgery Edge Matt Hardy um, Christian. Well, Christian eventually I had to retire due to concussion issues. Yeah. And you got to fix something from this. Well, I remember the story of Christian walking around with a neck brace all day before he then went out to have a ladder match with Rob Van Dam on an episode of Raw. You know? So, anyway. If people want to get in touch with you, Simon, and threaten to do something to you via your piss, how can they do that? <laughs> people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of individuals who interfered in this match. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for All Out Spectacle, N for the N in WrestleMania. Actually, A-N for the N in Mania. Uh, you also said my... the N for the um, N in Neck Trouble as well. Yes, that's my Twitter handle, that's my Instagram account, that's my uh, letterboxed Facebook. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Well, that's it for another debrief. We've gone through our list. We've worked through our issues. We've discussed the non-five-star match. We've taken your queries, and I don't know if we answered them, but we definitely talked for a while. (laughs) Or at least I did, and Cy went, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever you think. 
But anyway, Simon, we have another match coming up, and it's going to be another farewell for us for one of the... Not as much of a perennial as last time, but like I said, we're we're, uh, ramping up to our final matches. There's also the penultimate match for our other uh, perennial five-star performer. What is it we'll be covering next, Simon? We'll be watching a Jun Akiyama versus Kenta Kabashi match in Noah. Yes. We're in Noah. It's uh, Kabashi's GHC title reign that we saw... The beginning of after he vanquished Masao once and for all will continue on, and we're in the Tokyo Dome for this match as well. Nothing left to say except my name's Lorca Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five star time. Until the next time. <laughs> <laughs>